Glory, 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 glory. Thank you for the blood. Amen. Wow. And I like what the songwriter said. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. The blood's good enough for everybody, but you ain't going to heaven unless it's applied. It doesn't get applied unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. How many of you that are glad on your behalf it's been applied? And we thank the Lord for it. Thank you for your attention. We appreciate the music. I believe it be fitting to thank those who ministered us in song and thank the Lord for their ministry today. Let's give God the praise for music. It's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. Glory, glory, glory to his name. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter number 19. The Gospel of John, chapter number 19. Go there with me in the Word of God, if you would. Now, in these Gospels here, particularly in John, we'll look some at Matthew and maybe at Luke too. There's, there's so much in the crucifixion story, in the sacrifice of Christ, that it would take us a year to talk about all of it. Watch this now. It's that deep, hear me now, and is that good? Unfortunately, unfortunately, churches today have derailed off of the path and spent so, much, spent so much of their time concentrating on every message but the main message. Now, for those who are not caught up in holidays and, you know, I don't get caught up in holidays because I don't, you know, Easter this and Easter that and some people don't even want to say Easter, it's resurrection, you know, whatever you call it. We're glad he got up out the grave. But may we not exhaust our time around the cross at this time of the year only. For the believer, we need to stay near the cross. Visiting what he's done for us, what he's done in us, what he can do through us. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no cross. Then you and I might as well go home. And so today, some of these elements we'll move through quickly. You'll take notes, and I, I hope that you'll go home and read the end of every gospel, the end of Matthew, the end of Mark, the end of Luke, the end of John, and watch as each one of these gospel writers portrays the crucifixion through his own personality, some giving more details than the other, but all of them inspired by God, to give us the story of the cross. I know what some of you are thinking. I already know the story. I've seen the movie. Listen to me. Read the book. It's better. <laughs> and with the help of the Holy Ghost of God, I pray that God will open our eyes that as clearly as we can see Jesus on the cross today, we will. John 19, verse number 16.
Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. Anybody know who the him is? Huh? Jesus. Anybody know who the them are? The Jews, right? Anybody know who the he is? Pilate. Are you listening? It's important if you're going, if you're going to read the Bible, you got to know what it's talking about. Then he, speaking of Pilate, delivered him, speaking of Jesus, to them, speaking of the Jews, to be crucified. And really what's happening is the Jews get to take him over and Jesus gets crucified in this, this, this Roman execution, which is absolutely horrific. And he, who's the he, verse number 17, bearing his cross. Talk to him. Who's bearing the cross? Jesus. Went forth into a place of the skull, which is in the Hebrew called what? Golgotha. Where they crucified him. And two other with him. On either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh of the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. We want all y'all to understand it. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Now hear that again? Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. In other words, don't put that's what he is. Put that's what he said he is. Look at verse number 22. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. And listen, even if he had changed it on the paper, it wouldn't have changed who the man was. Written above Jesus in sarcasm and a facetious nature was this statement. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Oh, how they in their insults knew not that what they were saying was the very truth. Let the church say amen. Father, have thy blessing to the reading of your word. Cleanse me of sin, empty me of self, and fill me with your spirit. Lord, you and I have talked about this text this morning. And it's just so heavy on my heart. I don't have the words or the strength to do it justice as I'd like to. So I'm asking you to preach through me. I pray for souls in the building today who don't understand what John was saying, what Matthew was saying, what Mark and Luke were saying. I pray that today that message would be so simple, so clear, so real, so indisputable that today they might understand why we're thanking Jesus for the blood. Do what you do. Bind the devil. Put a hedge of protection about this place. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
Thank you for standing. From the moment God stepped into humanity, born of a virgin, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. From the moment this God became man, from the moment he left the portals of glory, all the splendor, all the honor, all the pomp, all the circumstance of heaven to come to this earth and be rejected by his own. From the moment he entered eternity on our behalf, he'd always been and always will be. But from the moment he entered that segment through humanity, he was always headed to the cross. For 33 and a half years, he walked on planet earth, tempted at all points, yet without sin, Hebrews tells us. He limited his deity to being in one place at one time. He allowed himself to endure and to experience all of the human characteristics of sweating and crying and being hungry and thirsty and the emotions that come alongside being a human being, choosing not to utilize his own Godhead as much as he could have. He did that for you. And me. Isaiah had said 700 years before he had ever come, Isaiah 53, who had believed our report? Isaiah said he'd be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. 52 of Isaiah says his visage would be so marred you couldn't even tell he was a human being. This is 700 years before Jesus was ever born. Isaiah, with the help of the Holy Ghost, saw the future. He saw the cross and he knew that Jesus was coming. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus didn't run from the cross. He ran to the cross. Fully aware, he made statements to the apostles that were disciples at that time. I have power to lay down my life. I have power to take it up again. The Son of Man must go to Jerusalem to be beaten and scourged and delivered unto the people. And when he said that to the Jews and said that to his own people, his own disciples, Peter tried to rebuke him and the disciples didn't want him to do it. They didn't want Jesus to die. They wanted him to stay with them forever, but he knew he had to die. Why? Without his death, there is no remission. For... Is anybody listening? this morning I'm saying he didn't come to earth to see it he created it he didn't come to earth to look at it he could see it from where he was he didn't come to church come to earth because he had nothing else to do he came to earth because he had one thing to do and what he came to do nobody else could and so the people would go through their process they would They'd bring him for the high priest who would mock him and they would slap him there. They'd, they'd bring him before Pilate and Pilate had a decision to make. Would he crucify Jesus or would he kill Barabbas? Barabbas was clearly guilty, a murderer and a robber with no question. And yet the Jews didn't want Barabbas dead. They wanted Jesus dead because Jesus was a threat to their religion. Jesus was an insult to their own ideology. And so they wanted to stamp this man out, kill him and put him in a grave so we don't have to hear him talk anymore. They didn't know you can't keep this man down. So history converges on Calvary. It had to happen. We're in a very historical area of the world, the nation's capital, and you go down to Washington, D.C., and you see memorials, and you, you see Holocaust museums, and you see soldiers at Iwo Jima, and you see 
statues that are built towards men and you see things that are printed on walls and you see all kinds of replica that are demonstrated to show us where America has come from and what we have come through. And ladies and gentlemen, we must recognize history otherwise we are bound to repeat it. But listen to me now, you can look at all of the wars and the battles and the generals and the heroes and all of the discoverers and all of the inventors and all of the entrepreneurs and everyone that brought America to where it is today. Ladies and gentlemen, beyond all of those historical great feats there is something that stands superior to all of the other events in history and ladies and gentlemen it converges at the cross so today please 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 for a few moments today don't worry about what you're wearing for a few moments today don't worry about where you're eating for a few moments today don't worry about what you're doing after service the kids will be on an Easter egg hunt downstairs and many of you will go here there and everywhere and we've enjoyed this holiday I took some time this week to, to reflect and to have a good time in Easter some of your kids are off again tomorrow from school as you have a spring break but for a few moments today could you step aside from the mundane repetition of what human Humanity so indulges us with and could you and I travel back 2,000 years ago to a cross on that cross ladies and gentlemen is a man please understand that cross is up on a hill and on that hill are three separate crosses and the scripture tells us that there are three crosses and each cross has a man on it for our text verse this morning I want to go to John chapter 19 and I want you to picture in your own imagination with the help of the Holy Spirit of God. I know some of you are thinking I'd love to be there. A number of my friends are in Jerusalem every year. They've been trying to get me to go with them and one of these times I'm going to make a trip. My son Kobe went to Israel just this past year and many of them have told me, they've texted me from the very site where it is supposed that Jesus was crucified and they've been there to see what that hill looked like. We're not in Jerusalem today. We're in Fall Church Virginia but with the help of the Holy Ghost of God and the true depiction of scripture I want you to picture that there's a hill there called Golgotha which is known as the place of the skull and there are three crosses there on that hill please look at verse number 18 after Jesus had bore his own cross and went to that place called Golgotha notice verse 18 they crucified him and notice the language that John on inspiration of the Holy Ghost uses two other with him he says on either side now I want you to picture there are two thieves and later in the passage and others we're going to see that one thief rejects and one thief receives ladies and gentlemen don't you miss this this morning Jesus is the answer for mankind but whether he helps you is up to you you reject him or receive him you have a free will he's not looking for robots he's not looking for clones he's looking for somebody to look on that cross and see on one side of me is a thief and on the other side of me is a thief. Guilty, 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 guilty. As a matter of fact, it was tradition that you would list the crimes of the thief over their head so that everybody knew why those thieves were being uh, slaughtered. And so you can picture that these crosses are up there suspended on this hill and on one cross you've got a thief and over the thief's head are the crimes listed that he's committed. On the other side there's another thief and over his head are the legitimate crimes he committed 
it. Two guilty people on both sides. But I want you to notice what John says. He says they crucified him, two other with him, either on side of the one. But notice what John says at the end of verse number 18. And Jesus in the midst. Now for just a few, few moments on this Easter Sunday, I don't want to preach about the thief on the right side. I don't want to preach about the thief on the left side. Because on the right is a guilty man. And on the left is a guilty man. On the right is somebody who messed up. And on the left is somebody else who messed up. On the right is someone who deserves to die. And on the left is someone who deserves to die. On the right is somebody who can't change anybody's life. And on the left is someone who can't change it. I don't want to preach about the one on the right or the one on the left. For a few moments today, I want to preach about Jesus, that man in the middle. It's important that he's in the middle. He's the centrality. He's the focal point. He's, he's the difference maker. He, he's the game changer. He's the one that you, yours and my destiny depends upon. There in the middle is that man, the man in the middle. And I would say to you 2,000 years later, here we are at Crossroads Baptist Church, 5811 Hoffman's Lane, Bellis Crossroads, Virginia. And if your life is to change this morning, you can't come up here looking at the pastor and looking at the deacons and looking at your parents and looking at a church and looking at a baptismal pool and looking at all these people out in the world who want to change your life. Ladies and gentlemen, if your life will be forever changed and your destiny is determined to live forever with Jesus Christ it's not going to be anybody else that changes your life but the man in the middle today for a few moments the man in the middle met incomparable suffering met incomparable suffering you're gonna to have to take these notes down because I just don't have time to turn to all of them Luke 22 44 his incomparable suffering was the sorrow that he bore in Matthew chapter number 27 the scourging that he took verse number 26 28 the stripping that he took 29 the spurring of the crown that he took the spurning that he took 30 the spitting that he took 30 be the smiting that he took 39 the scoffing that he took 35 the spiking that he took 1934 the slaying that you find me ever a man who had sorrow scourging stripping spurning spitting smiting striking scoffing spiking and slaying the worst of the worst slaughters have never been slaughtered like that but listen to me them fellows on the right didn't get it that fellow on the left didn't get it Barabbas didn't get it but that man in the middle met suffering like no other man is man. The man in the middle manifested an impeccable stance. He met an incomparable suffering, but he manifested an impeccable stance, impeccable, flawless perfection. Three times Pilate made this statement, I find no fault in him at all. I find no fault in him at all. I find no fault in him at all. Somebody said, why couldn't Pilate find a fault in him? Because he didn't have one, ladies and gentlemen. He was a sinless man. He could not sin because he was God. But you say he was man. Yeah, but he was God and man at the same time. And man can't sin when he's God and man. He could not sin. Luke 23, he answered them nothing. There was a call in this man. In Luke, in John 19, he said, woman to Mary, behold thy son. He said, son to John, behold thy mother. He was on the cross being slaughtered, but you know, he was thinking about a mama who needed a son and a son who needed a mama. Aren't you glad that this man is so impeccable that while he's getting beaten up and beaten down, he's thinking about you and me. 
the calmness of this man, the concern of this man, the compassion of this man. Luke 23, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Who cries forgive them to his slayers? Who cries forgive them to his murderers? Who cries forgive them to the people who have rejected him? You and I don't even want to forgive somebody for cutting us off on 95, much less for killing us. You say, how does somebody forgive those that kill him? Ladies and gentlemen, there's just something about that man in the middle. The character of that man. It literally means, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did Jesus cry that on the cross? You understand that Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit have forever been intertwined for all of creation, for all of the ages. The Godhead, inseparable, their love, one taking another, each of them exhibiting love to each other. The Father to the Son, the Son to the Spirit, the Spirit to the Son, the Spirit to the Father, the Father to the Spirit. Love complete in the Godhead. But when Jesus was on that cross and all the sins of mankind were placed on Jesus Christ God the Father himself could not stand to look at his son because his son was full of the sin that you and I forced him to go through so in that moment God the Father turned his back on his son you noticed when Jesus was baptized that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove and that was the Holy Spirit saying I'm going to empower the ministry of Jesus Christ I truly believe on that cross when Jesus cried out Eloi Eloi he says my God God, I believe he was crying to the Father. My God, crying to the Holy Ghost, the, the dove of the Holy Ghost left Jesus in that moment. The Father himself turned his back on Jesus. What character that this man would go through all of this and for the one time in history be separated in fellowship from God for you and for me. That's the man in the middle. He met an incomparable suffering. He manifested an impeccable stance. Thirdly, he mediated an impossible situation. Luke 23, he mediated the plight of the rejected. For all of us that were separated from God, God knew that we were rejected. He knew that nobody could save us. He knew that nobody could change us. He knew that sitting in this auditorium would be people who would look to all kinds of remedies to save them from their sin. And it's sad today that people are joining churches. They're getting baptized. They're taking the right hand of fellowship. They're getting slapped upside the head to get their sins forgiven. Ladies and gentlemen, if that could save you, Jesus would have never had to die. But he died because he knew it couldn't. He mediated the plight of the rejected. He mediated the price of redemption. He was wounded for our transgressions. He mediated the payment for our ransom. He paid the price that we could be set free. And he mediated through the power of the resurrection when he got up out of the grave he defeated sin he defeated Satan he defeated separation there's no enemy that Jesus has not defeated because when he got up he said to all of them you can put me in the grave but you can't keep me there fourth and final the man in the middle he met an incomparable suffering he manifested an impeccable stance he mediated an impossible situation but lastly, he mandated an incredible sanction. He didn't just get up. He didn't just go to heaven. He left us with a job to do. Standing on that mountain, getting ready to send it into heaven, he looked at those disciples and made this statement. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Ye shall receive power after that, that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the Ladies and gentlemen, that man in the middle didn't leave saying nothing. He left saying something. Here's what he said. The message of the cross, the message of the resurrection, the message that I died was buried rose again. I'm going to heaven, but I'm leaving you here to tell it to everybody. Here's my message. Here's your ministry. Here's your mission. And oh, here's your means. You can tell the gospel to everybody because watch this now while you're telling it. Lo, I'm with you always. You know what Jesus was saying? I'm going to heaven, but you can tell everybody on earth about me because while you're telling it, guess where I'll be? Right in the middle. And here we are today. 2023. And the world is looking to everyone and everybody for the answer. Every time I look, there's a new religion. Every time I check, there's another imposter. Every time I look, there's another message. Where is this world going? What is to happen to the multitudes of millions and billions who are on a crash course to a devil's hell. If I've got one message to preach and I've only got one chance to preach it, I get to, I'll tell you what I'm preaching. I'm preaching about that man in the middle. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, in John 19, there's a thief, there's a thief, and there's Jesus, the man in the middle. Oh, what a beautiful story. But truth be told, ladies and gentlemen, where he was on the cross is where he's always been and where he always be, always will be. In the beginning when the earth was without form of void and there was darkness all over the land and God the Father was going to create and the Holy Spirit of God was moving on the waters. Guess where Jesus was? He was the man in the middle creating a universe. The Bible says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Isaiah was suffering from despondency and disillusionment Disillusion, disillusionment and despair. Why? Because the king Uzziah, who he had watched do right, all of a sudden decided to do wrong, died in leprosy and in disgrace. And Isaiah said in chapter 6, I saw a robe, I saw a crown, I saw a throne, I saw smoke, I saw pillars, I saw tongs on altar, I saw seraphims worshiping. He said, but what really shook me up in that vision wasn't all that stuff. I'll tell you what shook me up was the man in the middle. When those wise men came from the east to anoint him and to crown him and to worship him, they got into a manger where there was a mama and a daddy. There were animals and all kinds of hay, but it wasn't the mama, the daddy, and the animals that shook those wise men up. In that manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, guess who was there? That man in the middle. 12 years later, Mary and Joseph head to Jerusalem where they're going to enjoy the Passover. They do it there and they head back home, march for a day and look around and Mary goes, where's our son? And Joseph goes, I don't know. I thought you had him. Where's Jesus? They head back to town. Now three days have passed. Guess where they found him? In the temple. Doctors and lawyers, all kinds of intellectuals and theologians. Guess who was in there with them? The man. And guess where he was? Right up in the middle. John the Baptist had been preaching after 400 years of silence. Prepare you the way of the Lord. He who cometh after me is preferred before me. I'm not even worthy to unbuckle his shoe strings. And all of a sudden, John, in the middle of his message, has to stop 
All of the eyes turned from John and looked to someone else. John, why do you stop? John, why don't you keep on going? Because a man has just shown up. And guess where he showed up? In the middle. Amen, ladies and gentlemen. He's always been in the middle. When they put him on the cross, he was in the middle. When they took him out the grave, and three days later, he rose again. And Mary comes to anoint the body of Jesus. She's looking around, thinking she's talking to a gardener. She's not talking to a gardener. Guess who she's talking to? The man in the middle. Two unnamed disciples are walking to the road to Emmaus, kicking rocks and discouraged about the supposed Messiah who came and can't be found. And guess who showed up in their conversation? That man in the middle. The disciples are gathered in the upper room, scared to leave that room because the Jews might kill him. The door's closed so nobody can get in. Guess who walked through the door as it was dead, bolted short, shut? That man in the middle. And then that man would, a few days later ascend up into heaven and in the middle of the sky they'd see that man who hung and bled and suffered for them and as he spoke to them guess where he would be right there in the middle today you and I are praying to God begging him to hear us when I pray to God you know how I know that my prayer can get to God because in between God and me is Jesus that man in the middle ladies and gentlemen in your trials in your difficulties in your tough situations somebody here has got a marriage on the rocks, got a child that is a prodigal, got a sickness in your calamity, got a difficulty you can't fix. You're looking for doctors and prescriptions and counselors and psychiatrists and a breakthrough, a check in the mail. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't need any of that because guess who's in your storm? That man in the middle. And right about now, while the world's getting wicked and, and life's getting crazy, one day the trumpet's going to sound. First Thessalonians said the dead in Christ are going to rise. First, that's our loved ones. You and I that are here, we're going to we're going to rise. We're the living ones. But I guarantee if you could get a photographer to, to, to photograph in a panoramic view that sky when the rapture takes place, I think that photographer would say, I see the living ones. I see the loved ones. But guess who stands out more than all of them? The lovely one. Because in the middle of the sky, that man's in the middle. For seven years after Jesus comes back, the world is going to go through a wicked tribulation period and the devil's going to rule and he's going to rule like he's the boss with an antichrist and a false prophet. And it's going to seem like he's winning and after seven years, Jesus Christ is going to come back. He's going to come back on a white horse and guess who's coming back with him? You and me. Aren't you glad about that? And when he comes back, we're going to rule and reign with him. But I'm going to tell you something, leading that entourage is not going to be the best preacher's the best deacons, the best apostles, the best, the best historians, the best people in the Bible. No, no, no. You who's going to be riding in the front of that altar, it's going to be that man in the middle. He's going to defeat Satan. He's going to kill all of those who were dead. The devil's going to be locked up for a thousand years, and Jesus is going to rule and reign. Guess where he's going to rule and reign from? Jerusalem. And guess where he's going to be sitting? Right there in the middle. Amen. And ladies and gentlemen, one day after those thousand year reign, the Bible says we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. John said, I saw it 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. That's a pretty big city. I guess that city's going to be laced with a lot of street lights, a lot of lanterns, a lot of torches. You're going to need a lot of electricity to light up heaven if it's 1,500 miles wide, 15 miles high, 1,500 miles high, and 1,500 miles long. I guess you're going to need not a lot of lights, but John said, there are no lights in that city, and yet that city is lit up. Look, 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 look. You young people think these parts 
parties you go to are lit. You think these clothes are lit. You think these functions are lit. You think these gatherings are lit. Let me tell you, you ain't seen lit till you get to heaven. And I'm going to tell you why it's going to be lit. It's not going to be lit because Peter, James, and John. It's not going to be lit because the streets of gold are sparkling. It's not going to be lit because the gates of pearl. It's not going to be lit because it's just some city. That's, it's going to be lit because in the middle is that man. That man's going to light up the whole place. I tell you what America needs. They need to get Jesus back in the middle. I love that man in the middle. I adore that man in the middle. I worship that man when I'm in the middle of my messages, in the middle of my marriage, in the middle of my mindset, in the middle of this madness, in the middle of my motives, in the middle of my morals. I want him in the middle of my ministry, in the middle of my members. I want him in the middle of my preaching when people visit Crossroads Baptist Church. We don't want him leaving talking about the choir or the pews or the nursery or the screens. We want him to leave talking about that man in the middle. When your people on the job see you, hopefully they see the man in the middle on your family, in your social media, wherever you go. There's a cross with a thief on the right and a thief on the left. Neither one of them can do nothing for us, but thank God it wasn't just them. Between the two of them was that man in the middle, and today he's still in the middle. Still in the middle for you and for me. Now here's my question. Is he in the middle of your heart? Is he in the middle of your heart? Because there is no greater difference that can be made in your life than the man in the middle. Let's bow our heads all over the building. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. How many say, Pastor, I know for sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I know that I have Bible reasons to prove it. He's in the middle of my heart. If that's you, would you put your hand up all over the building? God bless you. I'm glad he's in the middle. Put your hands down. How many say, preacher, he's in the middle of my heart, but I want my life to show that he's in the middle of my life, in the middle of my words, my thoughts, my deeds, my testimony, my, my family, my marriage. I want Jesus in the middle. If that's you, would you put your hand up all over the building? Oh, God, help us. Put your hands down. Then let me ask you one more question. Do you know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? You say, well, pastor, I'd like to. I think I'm going. I, I, I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty sincere. See, you don't get into heaven because you're a good person. You get, in, you get into heaven because you have a personal relationship with the man in the middle. And so today I ask you, how many would say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I died today I go to heaven. But I'm sure I don't want to go to hell. Listen to the question again. Pastor, I'm not sure if I died today I'd go to heaven. But I'm sure I don't want to go to hell. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Anybody like that? I'm not sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven, but I don't want to go to hell. I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. Anybody like that? Would you slip your hand up long enough for me to see it? Would you? 
Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. Anyone's, you're not telling God anything he doesn't know already. Anyone's just slip your hand up long enough for me to pray for you. I'm not sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. But I don't want to die and go to hell. Please pray for me, Pastor. Slip your hand up long enough for me to see it, would you? Oh, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should go to repentance. All should come to repentance. How many of you that are saved today would raise your hand and say, I'm so thankful for the man in the middle. Would you raise your hand and praise to him? For this one who's come, we'd like, we'd like to get someone to show you how you can know you're going to heaven if you're willing. We'd love to help you. You may put your hands down. We'll avail someone to you. Who can show you how you can know you're going to heaven? Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, help our lives to show the same scene that's been depicted for so many years. Jesus, the man in the middle. For all these things, we praise you, give you thanks, and ask that you'd help us to live for you. In the name of that wonderful name, of that man in the middle, Jesus.